Good morning, folks. Today is Tuesday, October 11th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for listening and gathering around God's Word with us this morning, over the air, online, or on a podcast. I'm glad you're here. Settle in, open your hearts and your minds. We're about to begin. Thy Strong Word is underwritten by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. See how they can help you in your outreach and how you can support them and all the good work that they do by visiting lhfmissions.org. I also invite you to email me at pastorboo at gmail.com with your comments or questions. Every Friday, I begin the show by sharing some of those comments and questions, so be sure to tune in for that. The email address again is pastorboo at gmail.com. Well, this morning, we continue our conversation on the resurrection as we head into 1 Corinthians 15, now verses 12 through 34. There was a curious paradox going on in Corinth. The Corinthian Christians believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. This was a key tenet of their faith. But there were many there who had taught that there would be no resurrection. Were they still clinging to the Greek belief that the body was something to be escaped and that only the spirit lives on forever? Well, to help us explore this text and how it applies to us today, I'm pleased to welcome back to the show the Reverend John Lukomsky, Pastor Emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics, also on KFUO, Pastor Lukomsky, good morning, brother, and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. You know, good good morning, Phil. And and uh, you know, I was thinking about uh, the last time we had, had visited, and, and I realize now that that I I really enjoy working with you uh, because you come at this from a totally different perspective uh, than, than where I come from. Oh, um, sure, okay. Well, so so here's the thing. I know you you've come in from another another church body. Um, I, on the other hand, have spent 70 years of my life being a Lutheran church, Missouri Synod, and, and for the most part, a rural Lutheran church, Missouri Synod. Uh, and just so to help you understand me, we're, the, the, we're kind of the Amish of, of the Lutheran church. <laughs> <laughs> and that the, the way they went through the church is we had babies, and the babies would grow up to be Lutherans, and then they would have more babies, which would also be Lutherans. And of course, since all Lutheran women are beautiful and strong, uh, on occasion there might be kind of an erring uh, UCC guy that we would kind of uh, sneak in. Uh, but but I don't know if people believe this or not. But before you could marry a Lutheran girl, you had to become indoctrinated in Lutheranism. You, you actually sure. had to become a church member with a great deal of catechization. Uh, and, and indeed, these outsiders would be often more enthusiastic about the faith than those that were born and raised in it. But but I realize that, see, that gives me a very parochial view of what's going on. And, uh, uh, I mean, there was a time when we had our own school system, because God help us if we would ever come into contact with somebody who wasn't Lutheran. <laughs> uh, but that isn't true anymore, is it, Phil? Uh, well, you know, uh, it's, well, I was going to say, it's not true, but this is also what's great about the Lutheran faith, you know, because you have folks like you who have been, uh, born and bred in it, which are so important for the longevity of our confessions. But isn't it wonderful that the the Lutheran faith is permeating the culture? People are realizing, wow, you know, if the things that are in the Bible are true, then these people, wow, they're confessing the right things. It's kind of like in our text for today. You know, if this is true, 
then the Lutherans, the way they practice, the way they believe and teach and confess, at least this is how I experienced it. Wow, this is this is something that I should connect myself with. So, yeah, that's why I like having you on the show, because that way we get uh, both both sides of the coin. And, and, and see, I, I agree with you completely, because that was the downside. On the one side, it made us very, very tight and, and very, very strong, but we didn't want to share it with anybody else, <laughs> which was a, sure. a, a, a shame because, like you said, this is this beautiful teaching that comes directly from the Scripture. Anyway, the reason I'm rambling on is because as that very parochial LCMS Amish, you know, I would look at Paul here and say, Paul, we don't need this. There's nobody that doesn't does not believe in the resurrection. We all believe in the resurrection. But of course, that's not mm. true, is it, Phil? Uh, it wasn't true for Paul. Uh, uh, you know, there are a lot of Jews that were part of the Christian church. And, and uh, one of the most powerful Jewish sects was Sadducees that do not believe in a resurrection of the dead. And, and of course, as mm. you already alluded, uh, the, the pagans... They they would have rejected that. I, I I was tickled by the story in Acts 17, you know, where Paul's preaching to these pagans in, in Athens. And, oh, they, they like what he's talking about until he gets to the resurrection of the dead. And then they mock him. Well, that's the stupidest right. thing we've ever heard. Uh, but more than that, uh, as you also alluded, yeah, it, it's part of us, isn't it? We, we go around living our lives like all we have is what we have right here and now, which, of course, the whole business of the resurrection is— Everything you have right here and now, you don't have. It's all going to go away. Uh, what did Jesus say? Mary has chosen the one thing needful because it's the one thing that won't be taken away from her, but everything else will. Uh, but the great thing is, Jesus says, you're going to get it back a hundredfold in the life hereafter. So so maybe we're we're functional deniers of the resurrection. We, <laughs> we wouldn't say we deny it, but we live our lives like there is a oh. resurrection. Well, I, so, I, I have 100% on that point that we're functional deniers of the resurrection. Of course, that's with a broad brush. But the yeah, way yeah. the average Christian talks about the next life is a functional oh, yeah. denial of the resurrection, right? Well, we're going to go to heaven, be with Jesus. Yeah, well, that's yeah. great. Uh, Heaven's and, great, and it's not, not the end of the world. No, and, 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 and almost anybody could buy that. Who wouldn't want to? But it's not right. It's not what the church teaches, not what Jesus teaches. Um, and, and in fact, oh man, see, there there is this whole liberal Christianity out there too. Uh, um, did you ever read that book by Paul Meyer, The Skeleton in God's Closet? Are you familiar no, with not. that? Okay, I'm familiar well, with it, but what, I have not read it. Okay. Well, essentially the premise is they find the bones of Jesus. <laughs> and and uh, uh, so so but, when this came out, they actually interviewed a bunch of pastors, the, the local paper did there in St. Louis. Because, uh, see, there's a lot of Lutherans in St. Louis. Um, and it was interesting, of course, the Lutheran pastor said, well, that just couldn't be. It's, that's just impossible. That that can't be. That didn't know it. Uh, but they interviewed some some of the more liberal Christians. And they said, oh, well, it wouldn't make any difference. Uh, we're all about hope and we're about love. So whether Jesus actually rose from the dead or not, that doesn't matter. Uh, so, yeah, this is a really, really crucial thing uh, for the church as a whole and for us individually that Paul's talking about here in First uh, Corinthians 15. Well, yeah, let's, I tell you what, let's get started, but would you, would you please begin us with a word of prayer and then we'll get into the text. So Lord, you've laid this word of God out for us, but here's the thing we pray for. 
number one, that we would believe it. And then number two, we would understand that this is very, very relevant to what we're going to be doing right here and right now, this very day in our lives. And also such a great comfort for us in terms of what's going to happen in our lives in the future. So by the guidance of your spirit, help us to hear and believe this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, brother, before we read the first section of our text for today, any else, anything else you want to lay the foundation for? No, I, I think I've, I've kind of laid it out. Just, just the fact yeah. that the denial of the resurrection is a very, very real thing, and, and, and uh, it's a good thing that Paul so plainly and bluntly addresses that here in this chapter. Sounds good. So we're going to read verses 12 through 19. Here we go from the English Standard Version. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Yeah, so in this text, he has a lot of if-thens, if-thens, if-thens. But basically, you can't believe it both ways, right, Pastor? That's what they're saying. You can't say Christ raised from the dead and you're saved, and there is no resurrection. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, what he's saying is the entirety of Christianity hangs on the fact that Jesus, of course, suffered and died on the cross. Apparently, no one's arguing that, but also then that he he rose from the dead. Um, and, and you're right. He uses all of these beautiful, powerful words, vain, futile, uh, uh, you know, we are most to be pitied, um, because that's how important this is. If, if you take out, and, and Phil, you know, you brought this up in our introduction. How do you think it is? Because apparently they did understand Jesus rose from the grave. Like you said, that's part of the, the witness. So how is it that they thought that then there doesn't need to be a general resurrection of the dead? Can you get your head wrapped around that well, at all? You know, I thought about it just for a few minutes. You know, it's, it's hard yeah. to get your mind around it because it is such a um, conflict. The only thing I could come up with is that they thought, well, this resurrection was reserved for Jesus only. And that ah. we we just, you know, we don't get that and we just get to be spirits and then we will go to heaven. Because, um, and again, back to what we had already mentioned even today, we confess every single Sunday, and I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And then at the same time, confessing that every Sunday, if you confess the creeds every Sunday in your worship, then we go around thinking that, well, we can't wait to go to heaven and be with Jesus. You know, some people even think that humans become angels or that the whole point of heaven is to float around with harps and 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 just praise God all the time, as opposed to this understanding of the new heavens and new earth. So we kind of do that anyway. We go around talking frequently about Christ's resurrection from the dead, and then we rarely think about what is it going to be like for us to be resurrected from the dead or in the way that we treat our dead or the bodies, right? Oh, uh, you know, Joe has escaped this this wicked body or this, uh, this uh, sinful or ill or sick body, and now he's in his forever home with Jesus. And just ask Professor Gibbs, right? No, nope. Nope, not the forever home. Right? There's more to it. 
But yeah, I, I see that. I, I try to get my head around it too, and that's the only thing I could come up with. Well, well, and I, I, I like that, Phil, because you're right. That's actually how it's done, isn't it? And I can see that. So, yeah, Jesus rose. Well, yeah, he needs to do that because otherwise we wouldn't know that his teaching is true. But it doesn't matter whether we rise or not. Yeah, so we just go and, uh, you know, it, it struck me that picture you had of, of playing the harps because I remember this quote from, from Mark Twain, who hardly is a Christian, but he said, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think I'd want to go to heaven. I don't sing really well, he says. So why would I want to be up there floating on the clouds, playing a harp, singing, you know, hymns? Uh, but but so you're right. Actually, isn't that incredible? That is exactly how we think it through, not realizing, no, that's not at all. We don't really know what it's going to be like, but right. we do know this, that our bodies will be like unto his glorious body. And we know what his body was like. People could touch him. He could eat. Uh, well, anyway, uh, that, that's the point. So so I, I guess maybe it is possible to think of Jesus' resurrection and think somehow it would be different. But, boy, Paul does a good job of saying, well, if, if we're not going to raise from the dead, well, then Jesus Jesus didn't raise either. Then it's, what, what's the significance of him being resurrected? Right. Um, well, you know, the, you talk about language, what's go, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say you talk about what it's like to be in heaven. I always like to share this story whenever it's brought up. Uh, when I was first in the parish, I was teaching a confirmation class. and We were talking about heaven, new heavens and new earth, actually, specifically. And one of the young men, um, you know, they're 13, 14 years old, loves hunting. And the first thing he wanted to know is if there would be animals in heaven. And I thought, oh, this is the question about his, you know, his pets who have died. And yeah, uh, yeah. nope, nope. He wanted to know if there would be hunting in heaven. And I said, well, there is no death in heaven. So while there will be uh, animals, I, you know, I can't speak for animals you know, but while while the Bible testifies <laughs> that there are animals in the new heavens and the new earth, um, I, I don't think that there will be hunting. And that's what he said, kind of like uh, Mark Twain. He says, you know, well, I don't want to go. And then he, he reasoned pretty quickly because he does believe in Jesus. So he said, well, wait a minute. Maybe in heaven, after I shoot the deer, it'll get right back up again, and then I can shoot him again. <laughs> so I, while I can't encourage um, that to be preached from the pulpit, this idea that we don't know what it's like, I think it's in the way of us fully appreciating things like the resurrection and the new heavens, the new earth. Because people ask, well, if there's a resurrection— then how old will I be? What will my body look like? You know, all of these different things. What, you know, will I, will I have the same ailments if I was born without legs? Will I have legs? You know, so there's so many questions that we simply don't know. People just sort of ignore the problem or they try to reconcile it in ways that aren't scriptural. And I think that's what's going on here in Corinth too. They're like, well, we believe that the soul is going to go somewhere, but we can't imagine what it looks like for a dead body to rise so, yeah, Jesus raised from the dead, but for us, I don't know. And, and Paul is saying, no, 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 those things are connected. And I, I love that illustration, and I love the way that young man worked it out, uh, because I have a, uh, a son-in-law who's a catch-and-release fisherman. You um, know, he loves the fish, but it would work fine for him in heaven because he doesn't want to kill the fish. He, he, <laughs> he catches it, throws it back in, and catches it again. And who knows? Maybe, maybe. I mean, since there will be no death, and, and that's kind of the point, isn't it? Uh, the devil's going to kill us. I'm going to put me in a tomb. Ha ha. It ain't going to work out that way. I'm going to be right. back alive and well in my flesh and blood. So he, yeah, that, that young man may be closer to the truth than what we realize. <laughs> he very well uh, may be. 
and, and you know, the thing is for us to remember that, that whatever it is, it is not going to be some kind of ghostly thing. Uh, that's the thing that Jesus bends over backwards to show, mm -hmm. I'm not a spirit. I'm not a ghost. I'm flesh and blood. Come on and put your finger in the wounds here. Um, and, and so that's what we, I, I don't know. I, I like to think, I'm not worried about hunting, but I'd like to think <laughs> I'd be able to play tennis again. I, I really right. love to play tennis, but I got two ro torn rotator cuffs. I don't even know if I could get the ball over the net anymore. And I, I think that would be cool if I could do that. Whether I will or not, uh, um, that whole animal thing, that, that reminds me of what Luther said, because a young girl asked her him, and it was the pet issue. She had right. a horse, a pony. Well, a horse. And I thought Luther's answer was, was really neat. He said, you know what, if you need that to be happy, you'll have that. It'll be there. That's the one thing we know. Whatever it's going to be that we need right. to bring us joy and 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 peace and uh, that that'll all be in heaven. How that'll all work out, but but it certainly is going to be something earthly and physical. And don't you love the fact that the one constant image of heaven is that we're eating? <laughs> okay. Right, right, and, absolutely. Yeah. And I love. I don't know about you, Phil. I love to eat. That's one of my favorite things. I do it three, four times a day. That's how much <laughs> I like it. Uh, so, so anyway, uh, it, 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 yeah, I, I hope people are understanding. No, no, we don't want to be ghosts up in heaven. We don't want to be angels. We don't want to be floating on the clouds. We are so much better than that. We are flesh and blood humans. God made us that way. And that's how he's going to restore us in the end as well. Yes, and you know, in this first little section, as he's trying to correct their understanding, he's tr making this point to connect. If Jesus is raised, then you know, uh, you will be too. But he he's doing it in the negative. Basically, he's saying, if Jesus is not raised, which he hopes they believe, then you are to be pitied. You know, then those who have fallen asleep, those who've died in verse eighteen, are are dead. That's it. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only. We are of all people most to be pitied. I want to bring out that last verse of this part because there are so many today who don't believe in Jesus Christ as the Christ, as the Savior, as the Son of God who di lived, died, and rose again for us. But they say, well, you know, Christ, he's a, he's a good teacher, a good moral teacher, a good instructor, someone to follow. Um, and they take Christ and they twist him into whatever personal philosophy or political opinions are. And Paul says, if in Christ we only have hope in this life only, basically if all Jesus was good for is to teach us how to be a good person, then we are of all people most to be pitied. So I just think that's really fascinating and a good text for people who want to remove Christ's sacrifice and divinity and resurrection from the equation. Well, yeah, so so it's just as you said, if, if he isn't raised from the dead, then, then Christ really is not distinctive at all. There's a lot of other really fine ethical teachers out there, uh, and I guess we would number him as one of them. Uh, by the way, the other thing is C.S. Lewis points out that, that you can't run that way with Christ because then you'd also have to conclude that apparently he was mentally ill. Uh, right. or a crazy man, because he goes around acting like he's God, talking like he's God. And generally, we take people like that and we put them in asylums. <laughs> okay. Exactly. No matter what, how fine their teaching may be. Um, you know, I'm glad you brought up those last two verses, because again, the language there is just so beautiful. Uh, this phrase, who have fallen asleep, which of course we know is a, uh, uh, he means death. Uh, but that's a phrase that's used often in the Bible. And I think it's interesting. It's almost always used of Christians. 
It's never used mm -hmm. of death in general, but it's used of the death of Christians, which if you think about it, Phil, man, what a great way to think of it, right? You right. fall asleep, and then what happens? You wake up, <laughs> okay? That's right. Uh, and, and indeed, for those who wonder, well, what are the souls doing before they get reunited with the bodies? My thought always has been, well, they're, they're sleeping. And you know how that is when you sleep. You're not really conscious of time. If you go to bed, then they say, oh, is it morning already? Uh, and, and and the word perish there, too. That's a very, very powerful word, apolumai, uh, because it means that they literally don't exist. If there's not a resurrection for the dead, I'm sorry, you can't be hoping that your dear daddy's up there in heaven or your mom or whoever, your spouse, because no, if there is no resurrection, then there is nothing. Then they're gone. They have perished, which is an incredibly sad thing, which leads us that, as you said in that, that final verse, then, well, then we are to be pitied. <laughs> if we don't have anything more than just good advice to give people here and there, then we really have nothing to offer people that the world can't offer them. But but again, as you said, he's emphasizing, but we do have something. Right. He is resurrected from the dead. And what a difference that makes. Well, that's this next section. He he changes from this sort of negative if-then statements to a more encouraging way to put it. Um, I'd like to go ahead and get those verses out there. Um, these are going to be verses 20 through 28. He say, He turns and says, but in fact, Christ has been risen from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. And then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. Well, now that last section with all the subjection and subjections, that's one you almost have to read and look at on the Bible page and diagram to really get the full sense of it. <laughs> but we'll, we'll start at the top, though, with his proclamation. He, he turns from if Christ is all we have in this or if in Christ all we have is hope in this life, then we should be pitied. He turns and says, but guess what? That's not true, right? Christ has been raised from the dead. It's a truth. And he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Beautiful language from Paul. And 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 it actually goes to something you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago because we had that passage where Paul uses the word type, and we talked about typology, uh, and, and that right. what's really neat about being a Christian is is we don't read the Old Testament as if it's just a book of stories. Again, like like you were saying, so Jesus is just the moral teacher, and so that's the Old Testament. Then we can learn some great moral lessons from the Old Testament. But but the idea that everything in the Old Testament actually is pointing ahead to the fulfillment that comes in. in in, in Jesus Christ, and, and so that every word of the Old Testament actually, and this is bold enough to say this, is all about him, and that's how you read it, 
And so you go back to the story of Adam and, and Paul says, well, here's here's why there was an Adam, because that's how death comes into the world. That was the plan. That's not what God wanted, but he knew that's how it was going to work. But don't you understand, at the same time that he created Adam, he was already thinking about that he was going to send his son, who would not be created, but who would become like man, take on flesh and blood, be, be born of a woman, laid in a manger, suffered and died, all those things, buried, which is what men do, you know. Uh, in order that we too could be made alive. See, it's such a beautiful thing. So, so death came by Adam, but now in Christ, we're, and he's the first fruits, right? Which is that beautiful phrase, because he's the first. See, now you're back to what you talked about earlier. So you can't say, oh, Jesus rose from the dead, but we're not, because right. that's not to understand Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is a first fruits. He did it first, which means now we're going to do it second, third, fourth, fifth, however you fall in the numbering there. Um, so, yeah, that, those first few verses are just so beautiful. And, and just the affirmation, look, Jesus rose from the dead. Let me tell you this. What a great cover it is. No matter how you suffer, no matter how beaten up your body will be before you die. And trust me, Phil, I'm, I'm almost 70. The older I get, the more beaten <laughs> up my body gets. But in the end, I'm going to get back that same glorious body, uh, the body that God had wanted me to have from the very beginning when he took the dust and he breathed into it. That's exactly how he designed people. And we were supposed to be different than every other creature and different from the angels. Um, so, um, you know, go real quick too, because it just popped in my head. Uh, you, you know, the question was raised about what will we look like? Right. Uh, and, and the answer I've always given people is take, take a bunch of pictures you know, with my, my father-in-law who died at 96, of course, we had photos from him in the military getting married as a young man. And, and yet you could look at all those pictures and you knew it was Jerry, you know, mm. it, it didn't mm -hmm. look the same, but you look at, well, well that's Jerry. And, and so that's always been my answer. Whatever that is about us that makes us recognizable, whatever age we are, young or old, I think that's probably how we'll look. But again, sure. that's just my opinion. No, I think that's interesting. It's like the, the substance of Jerry changes over time, but the essence of what his Jerryness is remains. Ah, I have that absolutely. I have that conversation all the time when we talk about the Lord's Supper. Um, you know, it's it's uh, I think that's a beautiful way to look at it though, because you know, Christ, when he was resurrected, he was, well, the same age and same appearance, down to the the wounds oh, in his yeah. hands. But that was for a purpose, for the glory of, of himself and for God and for the disciples to recognize him. And for us, whatever that form ends up being is going to be for God's glory. It's, it, and that's what we talk about, glorification of the body. We're going to be glorified. And, you know, in whatever it is, I think this is also important to remember, or whatever the new heavens and the new earth look like, or whatever you'll be doing, whether it's playing tennis or hunting or just sitting around eating all the time, um, you know, it's going to be uh, something that you are contented with because you'll share the will of God. You'll you'll be confirmed in righteousness. So if God desires that we return to Eden where it was our original vocation to take care of the planet and be good stewards of God's creation, well, then that's what we'll be doing. And we will relish in it because we'll be living with God forever. And that's obviously the main thing. And, and, you know, it just occurred to me, see, that's what applies to what we have right now. That we need to See, the resurrection is not only something for the future, but it's also something for the present that, that we would remember. We're actually doing that right now. 
We, mm-hmm. we are living with God right now. He is present with us right now. Now, of course, now it's in faith. Okay, now we can't see it like we will see it when, when we finally get there. But to realize that in a sense, in a very key sense, it's not going to be different. Because mm-hmm. we have the Lord now. We have people we love and who love us. And, and, and that essence will still be there in heaven. Although, of course, all the bad things, all, all the, the, the death and the sickness and the, the worry and the fears and the tears. I love that phrase. The tears will be wiped away. Yeah. But it's kind of nice to know that we've kind of got it in a way already, just not in its fullness, maybe. I don't know what the right word to use. but No, I hear you. It, yeah. it speaks to how we should take care of ourselves, our neighbor, and our even our yeah. environment together because we are stewards of God's creation now. We don't have to wait till the new heavens and the new earth. I tell you what, uh, Pastor Lukomsky, we are up against a break. Dear listener, don't go anywhere. In just a few moments when we return, the pastor and I will continue our discussion of 1 Corinthians 15. We will both see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend John Lukomsky, Pastor Emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics, also here on KFUO. Now, Pastor, before the break, we were talking about Christ being the first fruits, and uh, but the, then he says in verse 24, then comes the end when he, Christ, delivers the kingdom to God the Father. When? After destroying every rule, authority, and power because he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy is to be destroyed is death. So we have this wonderful text here, and we and we rightly jump right to the death because that is the enemy of all men. It's the enemy that I think when any time we get sick, we have at the forefront of our mind that enemy who's always looming over us, death. But before, that's just the last enemy. As Christ reigns today and now the kingdom of heaven, that, I mean the kingdom, sorry, of Christ uh, here on earth, heaven being in our midst through Jesus, he's, he's still defeating or will eventually bring to completion his defeat that came at Golgotha. Um, every rule, every authority, every power. Now, he's talking about uh, spiritual rules and authorities and power. But, Pastor, I think he's also talking about earthly rules and authorities and power. We think about all of the adversities, all the enemies of Christendom in this world, and and God is the one who will vindicate. So I believe that's all wrapped up in this, that at the end is going to be Christ overcoming everything that's against his will in this world. How do you see that? 
Yeah, and I agree with that. And the language again here, I'm glad you highlighted that verse because there's words here that we need to unpack. It's interesting that he doesn't actually say, then comes the end. Uh, actually, in the Greek, he simply says, then the end. <laughs> okay, boom, it's right there. Right. Uh, and, and that's important because there are people that say, oh, yeah, there will be a resurrection of the dead, and he'll take up all the believers, and then there'll be the left-behind group, and there'll be a thousand years and all of that stuff. And, and just and they would go to this passage, we'll see, and says, then will come the end. But but no, no, he just says, boom, there's the end. Uh, there's no willing, there's no coming, it's this there. Uh, I think it's also interesting. He doesn't actually say he'll destroy every rule and power and authority. Uh, that's the word he used earlier, apolumai, to perish, to just wipe it out. Uh, but the word here is that he'll take all the power away from it. So for those who think, oh, well, we don't need to worry about hell, because, of course, there won't be any hell. There just will be no existence. Now, there's no indication in the Bible at all mm -hmm. that that's what he's going to do. Uh, but he is going to take away, if, if the devil is like a roaring lion seeking who may be devour, he's going to declaw him and de defang him, and, and no, you won't. He'll, they'll still be a devil, but he will not have any power over us. Um, and in fact, it's what occurred to me, what Paul is saying here, why the resurrection is so important. Because if you simply believe, okay, you're going you're gonna to die and you're going to be an angel or a spirit, whatever, floating around in the clouds, then the devil actually won, didn't he? Because what did the devil do? He, he wanted to destroy these bodies that God had given us. That was the whole plan. That we well, of course, the plan is not just that the body would be destroyed, but soul as well. But but in a sense, the devil can say, well, you know, I've won. At least they're not the creatures that God made them anymore. They weren't these flesh and blood things that He made. So, but no, that that in the resurrection, no, the devil can make no claim of victory at all, can he? Because we right. will be exactly what God intended us to be from the very beginning when He created us, taking the dust and breathing into it. So truly. Yeah, the last enemy of death. Go ahead and kill me. Uh, uh, and maybe, I don't know, how old are you, Phil? How old are you? I am 42 as of a oh. uh, couple of days ago. October 6th was my birthday. Well, happy birthday, Phil. Yeah, happy birthday. Congratulations. <laughs> I don't feel any older. No, you don't. Wait till you get to be <laughs> almost 70. Then you do feel it. Oh, no. And, and, and seriously, I, I, I didn't worry about death when I was 42. But now I do. And, and I almost died. So, But, but yeah. see, that's the thing. Go ahead, devil. Kill me. You're, you, you've lost. You've been done defeated. Because uh, all God's going to do is bring me back. And I'll even be better than I was here on earth, you know, in terms of my body. So, um, yeah, I think that's just a really, I th again, I think it's Paul saying this is why the resurrection is important, because in the end, then these forces actually do win, you know, because we're something less than what God said he was going to make us. But no, they, they're not. It'll all be, uh, uh, I don't know, defanged, depowered, whatever word you want to use there. Uh, and, yeah, and I was looking at that enemy. word. You, yeah. yeah, they use destroyed. It's um. It's you know can be rendered things like to discharge, like it's the same word if a, a woman is released from her marriage. It's the same word to uh, dissolve or to abolish something. Yeah, I think that's I, you know just you bringing that up has got me thinking about why the editors chose to say destroy, because I think that has some connotation to it that is not necessarily there. I think that's fascinating, but yeah, he he has all of the he will come. So everything that we're fighting against in this life, or we sometimes think we should be fighting against, 
Uh, he It says right here, Christ is going to take care of that. As you pointed out, you know, w- the worst they can do to us is kill us. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yes, and it's it's natural. And I don't want people to think, well, you know, to not fear death is to, you know, to fear death is to not have enough faith. And that's wrong because because death is the wages of sin. It's always bad. It's not something that God wants us to experience. Well, at the same time, God has a solution for that. You know, I've been by the side of people who are either in hospice or they're going into a very tricky surgery. And I tell them, and with all sincerity, listen, no matter what happens, you're going to wake up no matter what. There is no other option. You'll either wake up here with us, which is good, or you'll wake up and be with the Lord, which is better. And so both options are excellent. (laughs) And so, you know, that's how we must live every day, I believe, in this recognition that, you know, the worst thing that the enemies of this world can do to us is kill us. But God has already saved us from eternal death. And that's that first fruits. If Christ is raised, we'll be raised too. Not that we should seek after being persecuted or seek after being martyred. Certainly not. But the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now, we could argue that Christ destroyed that enemy already in his death and resurrection. This is sort of a um, a, a now but not yet proposition, right, Pastor? I mean, it's, right, it's, right. it's good as destroyed, but the effects of that destruction won't be felt until Christ returns. And, and, and Phil, I, I really want to emphasize what you said there, too. Uh, death is not a good thing. Let us never give people that impression. I hate death. I hate the fact uh, that I'm not going to be able to go out and have a beer with my my father-in-law, Jerry. You know, and and you're right. right. It's the consequences of sin, and it's not what God wanted. But as Jerry would say to us, he said, you know, I'm in a win-win situation. If I'm alive, I get to be here with you guys. And if I die, I get to be with all my beloved and with Jesus Christ in heaven, and I'll wait for you guys to show up. So, so nice. you're right. It's it's that, yeah, not not now, but to come, uh, and, and that's the great. But but again, Phil, you only have that hope, right? If Jesus is resurrected from the dead, if he isn't resurrected from the dead, then we really can't be sure what is going to happen when we die. But because he is resurrected, we can be sure that the last enemy is destroyed, is death. Yeah. Undoubtedly, why Satan is so keen on getting us to deny the resurrection, be functional resurrection deniers, as you said earlier. I'm going to include that in my personal lexicon (laughs) from now on because that's what we do. That's what we do. Now, these next few verses, I want to touch on them, but I really want to get to this last section because I think that uh, it has some confusing information in it too. But 27, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. So we're talking about God the Father subjecting all things to Christ. And then Paul says, but of course, God himself is accepted. He's not in subjection. And then when all things are subjected to him, that is the father, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. So kind of a confusing word salad, mostly because Paul's making an argument here and we're translating it and interpreting it. But there can be this misunderstanding that somehow the son is in some sort of eternal subjection to the father. Now, we confess in the um, Athanasian Creed that in respect to his humanity, Jesus 
is subordinate to the Father, but naturally in respect to his divinity, there is only one God. They're all co-equal. And, and you know, we have a very lengthy uh, 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 creed that makes that extremely clear. So, so you know, kind of what is he talking about here? Is he just talking about the humanity of Jesus or, or am I missing it altogether? What do you think, brother? I, I, yeah, I think that's a good way of dealing with it. This this fact that Jesus is both Almighty God has never been created one uh, with the Father, and yet, of course, now He's also this creature. He, he has flesh and blood like us, uh, uh, not created. Again, the Bible goes to great lengths to know not not created like us, but He is like us, and and it's just this whole Trinity thing, which is so difficult to grasp, and even for the Apostle Paul, because that's what he's trying to maintain. Don't you think, Phil, he's trying to maintain, look, that there is a Father, there's a Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and and I think he's, he's saying it, it really all circles around the Son, right? The mm-hmm. Son is the one who brings everything into subjection, but yet at the same time, the Son is not trying to one-up the Father, but nor is the Father trying to one-up the Son. It's just what happens when you try to deal with the, the mystery of the Trinity, which indeed right. is a mystery because it's beyond our human mind. And even Paul now struggles with that. But he, yeah, he's certainly trying to get rid of any kind of subjectivism where, where one is lower than the other. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, well, whatever. I'm with you. I'm ready to go on to the other verses. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very good. Well, let's do it because, uh, you know, we might we might spend some time in here. Verse 29 through verse 34, and that's going to be the rest of our text for this morning. Paul says, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, that I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God I say this to your shame. So a um, couple things, a couple quotes in there. When Paul says, uh, you know, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die, he's quoting bad company, ruins good morals, he's quoting. But at the very top, he seems to be acknowledging a practice that's going on. But, oh, wow, so much ink has been spilled through the centuries on what he means. This is uh, not extremely clear to us, perhaps because we have uh, the the unfortunate side effect of not knowing all the context because we're so far removed from the text. But he says, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised, why are people being baptized on their behalf? What in the world is he talking about? Yeah, don't ask me. <laughs> like you said, there's been lots of things written and lots of speculations. Uh, I mean, we we do know that, that there are there are groups like the Mormons who make their whole doctrine out of this and they're doing genealogy so you can locate all your dead people and then have some kind of ceremony of baptism, which, of course, I would think if that's really what Paul was talking about, there probably would have been more detailed explanation given somewhere else in the scripture. Or at the very least, the Bible would speak about it somewhere. I mean, this this is unknown of in all of Christendom. It's pretty much just right here. Yeah, and there's nothing in the early church fathers about it even. Uh, and, and so you're right. We're kind of left, I don't know. 
but apparently there was some kind of practice that was going on that had to do with the dead. And, and Paul is just saying, well, your practice isn't even consistent because if there's no resurrection, who cares? <laughs> what difference does it make? Uh, but but I, I don't know. Like you say, a lot of people smarter than me have talked about it, and I'm not sure. I, do you have any idea that, because I know you, you've read a lot of things too, anything that really appeals to you, what he might have been talking about here? Well, what appeals to me is just what you said, and that is that something is going on in Corinth. They're, maybe they just have taken this understanding of, well, you know, it's important to be baptized. Baptism is the sacrament by which God brings people faith. And even though Paul is also clear that, you know, it people are brought to faith by the word, um, maybe this just over, not over importance, but this importance that's been placed on baptism causes them to do something that's not exactly right. So they're yeah. off doing this, this, maybe they're getting baptized on behalf of Christians who have died but didn't receive that sacrament because just whatever. And so they're so worried they won't get into heaven. They're they're kind of just like we saw in, in Jacob and Abraham uh, and Sarah. They're trying to, to fulfill God's will in ways that he hasn't given them to fulfill. And so Paul isn't like condoning it. He's just saying, hey, you guys are already doing this stuff. If you're doing this stuff, which I neither you know agree nor disagree with right now, um, just for the sake of my argument, then that doesn't even make sense if you don't believe in the resurrection. And, and he doesn't say we. He says, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people, you know, why are those people doing that? He doesn't say, why do we baptize people on behalf of the dead? And I think that might be significant. But ultimately, I don't know. There's a few different thoughts out there. I think Luther, from best I could tell, he believed that there was some practice of uh, being baptized over the graves of deceased uh, Christians as a like a symbolic connection or something. I, I, I you know, I hate to question Luther, but I don't much. It, 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 maybe I don't understand his argument, but for what I do understand, I don't much buy into that. But there are like over 30 or more different <laughs> explanations for this. And I think what we must remember is that uh, the scriptures while unclear here because of the context, are extremely clear elsewhere about the role of baptism in faith. And there's one baptism. We don't get rebaptized, and we certainly don't. This wouldn't be a practice that Paul anywhere else would say, um, yeah, this is something you should be doing. And we should note, he doesn't say they should be doing it here either. He's just pointing out flaws in their logic. Yeah, the, the peculiarity of it, what makes it difficult is because he doesn't condone it, but he doesn't condemn it either. So so yeah. then you're kind of put in the position like Luther finding something that would, like a memorial or something like that, which there's nothing. We, we have funeral services. There's no no sin in that. We we went out right. to to uh, uh, the columbarium where they had put uh, Jerry's ashes, and there's nothing. Uh, you know, uh, so, yeah, it's a difficult thing. But but the point, obviously, is—, is they were doing something that would mean meaningless if actually people don't actually right. come back from the dead. And I guess you could say that. Why would you have a funeral service if someone is dead and gone and perished? Then it's a, isn't that kind of really a mockery of what you're doing <laughs> if they're just all gone? But, but of course, we do have funeral services because we don't believe they're gone. We believe, as, as I said earlier, they're asleep. And, and in fact, <laughs> as long as we're talking about Jerry, because that's what's on my mind. And, and yeah. I don't know. Again, maybe this is a perfect example, Phil, because I don't Let's know that do I, would condone, I would condone this, but I wouldn't condemn it 
either. But Jerry would always go up to the columbarium where his wife Katie had been laid years ago, and he would knock on it. And he would say, mm. "Wake up!" <laughs> oh, <laughs> well. So again, you know, I wouldn't condone that, but I, I know what he's saying. He believes that his wife is going to be resurrected from the dead, and someday he'll see her again. So, oh, you you know that I mean on that on those same lines about not condoning but not necessarily condemning. You know, I've seen people who will go to their loved one's graves and talk to them. Yeah. And we know yeah. from Scripture that, you know, these – that people do not – people might consider that a prayer is what I'm trying to say. And we don't yes. pray to yeah. saints, and we don't expect them to hear, and we certainly don't expect them to respond. And yet, is that the is that really what they're doing, or are they just finding comfort in the resurrection? So you, one might say to that person who's talking to their loved one in heaven – Instead of correcting them immediately on, well, you know, they can't hear you, which probably would be tasteless, <laughs> you know, it, they might say, well, you know, if there was no such thing as heaven, then why would you bother talking to them? Yeah. And yeah. and there, therein lies the same situation. You know, why would you do this practice, which I'm not going to talk about right now, <laughs> but uh, I am talking about belief in heaven. So if they're like, well, I don't even know if they're in heaven, then you'd say, well, well then why do you talk to them all the time if you don't believe yeah. they're there? And that's just pointing out the inconsistency in our practices. But, yeah, it's hard to get our mind around, and I don't think that there is a good answer. But at the same time, we definitely shouldn't, as the Mormons do, who aren't even Christian based on their other beliefs. Yeah. But we shouldn't be taking this and, and form, using it as a seat of doctrine to form all kinds of practices. And Phil, I, I actually really am happy with this discussion because I think now I do feel comfortable about that. Whatever it was, it, it wasn't something that in and of itself what was wrong. It may have had right. kind of a, a false understanding, but it wasn't. Uh, uh, so no, we wouldn't condemn it. But on the other hand, no. Uh, if you're going to do this, don't you need to believe that he, because, you know, right. I, I would drive by my wife's because uh, uh, my first wife died uh, 21 years ago mm. and, and uh, I would drive by and I really wouldn't be talking to her, but I would be thinking about her and maybe I would yeah. in my mind framing, but, but again, that's not because I thought she was there, but like you said, because I do believe in the resurrection right. of the dead and I do believe that someday I, I'm going to see her again. She won't be my wife, but, but we'll be beloved Christian brothers and sisters. Uh, um, so, so thank you. I think actually I, I understand. I don't know what the practice was, but it was something that was not in itself sinful, uh, uh, not something everyone needs to do, uh, but certainly goes along with the fact there needs to be a resurrection from the dead. Yes, absolutely. So um, he says, uh, I, uh, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised? And then this amazing quote, yeah. let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And he's quoting Isaiah, who's also quoting. So what a— um, that, that sounds like a uh, sounds like something you would hear after an epic Greek battle. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die, or before I'm sorry, before an epic Greek battle. Uh, do, you, do you know the source of that that particular phrase or anything about it? I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah, you're right. Cited from Isaiah twenty two thirteen, but where, where is Isaiah getting it? Uh, my understanding is that next thing about uh, bad run company runs yeah. morals. That's some Greek poet, isn't it? I believe I read somewhere. 
which is interesting that he's quoting Isaiah, and then he turns around and he quotes a, a pagan poet. Uh, but of course, that's Paul. You know, he he knows the people, he knows the crowd he's dealing with, and and he he'll use their their poets as much as he'll use scripture. But he always will point us to Jesus Christ. Um, well, if yeah, they so, are in fact, if they are in fact combining Greek, you know, ideology with Christian teaching, then it's going to make sense that he's going to quote them saying, well, you know, if you're going around quoting these Greeks saying, because they're probably not quoting Isaiah, quoting these Greeks saying, you know, let's <laughs> eat and drink for tomorrow we die or bad company ruins good morals. He's just using this idea that, you know, even they aren't consistent in their belief because they think that the spirit's going to rise and hang out with the ferryman and go to you know, the, 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 uh, the world, the underworld. Um, and while they don't believe in the resurrection of the body, they believe in an eternal life. But, you know, we have something better is what he's saying. You know, this is a fullness of understanding. Even they kind of get it that there's eternal life. And now God has revealed what they could only try to figure out from the things that are created. And so, so don't, don't, Phil, what, what a marvelous way of pointing that out. So, yeah, most everybody that you encounter believes that there's some life after death because, honestly, if there isn't, this is a pretty crappy place to be. You <laughs> exactly. Know? But, but yes, so to go to say to them, hey, that's fantastic, but let me tell you, it's even better than what you mm-hmm. thought it was. See? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and the other profound thing in these verses, too, and, and this is such a powerful argument. Paul says, why would I risk my life if there isn't a resurrection from the dead? And, and I've heard that argument made for the the, the uh, veracity of, of the scriptures. Why would these people risk dying if they knew for a fact that Jesus just died? <laughs> and, you know, well, we made up the story about him coming out of the tomb. Actually, we know that his bones are laying around somewhere. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't risk right. your life for that. But, of course, if it's real, well, in your flesh and in your sinfulness, you might be reluctant. But but it would make sense that you would be willing to risk your life if, indeed, you know uh, the dead are raised. Um, and, and again, to, Phil, too, isn't it? I mean, it's just because Paul says, you know, honestly, if there isn't a resurrection of the dead, then why why do you care about anything? Just eat and drink. Do whatever yeah. makes you happy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And well, is, and is that's that how, what you want? Yeah, that's how a lot of people live their lives. And yeah. it, it, it yeah. just seems so unfulfilling because eating yeah. and drinking and being merry makes sense when you have perfect health and you're young and you're never going to die. And then time passes and, you know, and I've, as a hospice chaplain, I've been by the side of people who did not believe, and now they're, yeah, they definitely ha- are looking for something. Well, brother, we are at the end of our show. Just hey, a couple, uh, just like 60 more seconds, and you got the floor. Well, and, and you can see why it concludes in wake up from your drunken stupor and do not go yeah. on sinning. Uh, for some have no knowledge of God, I say this to your shame. So, yeah, how, how could we continue to deny that the fact that there is a resurrection of the dead. It just, it would, it would lead to immorality, to nothingness. I mean, we've used those words before, futile, vain are the words you use. But don't you love it? And he turns around and says, but it's not that way, okay? Not that way. That's, it's not that way. There is a resurrection from the dead. Christ is resurrected. And guess what, Phil? You and me and everybody listening to us, and Jesus Christ is going to have their sins forgiven and is going to be resurrected from the dead, including my my dearly beloved father-in-law, Jerry. So that's a good thing to know. I'm looking forward to seeing all those people, and I'm looking forward to being with Jesus. So, 
Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. I'd like to thank my guest, the Reverend John Lukomsky, Pastor Emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics on KFUO on Saturdays. And thank you, too, dear listener, for tuning in to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Listen again tomorrow as we finish up 1 Corinthians 15, again focusing on the resurrection, and this time about the resurrected body. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.